0: It was August of 2005 when students were moving into their dorms and apartments at the University of Texas in Austin, getting ready for what would undoubtedly be another epic school year. House parties were being planned, football was starting back up, and the city was bursting with the energy of young people returning to school. Only this year, the excitement was also tinged with a sense of darkness and dread as Austin residents heard the news of a murder that had occurred, one of the most gruesome and most horrific murders in Austin history. Hey guys, I am in Austin, Texas right now at CrimeCon 2021. Yes and in honor of my current location i thought it was fitting today to bring you a story from the austin texas area if you're from around here you definitely know this story and if you're not from austin chances are you've probably heard it as well because it made national headlines the details are just brutal shocking and senseless and there are so many questions left behind after this murder you're listening to True Crime IRL and I'm your host Kelly Barron's Brink and this is the story of Jennifer Cave. 21-year-old Jennifer Ray Cave grew up in a family of five girls in Corpus Christi, Texas. Jennifer was a fun-loving girl with a dazzling smile. A former cheerleader, after high school she attended Texas State University as a finance major. After only one semester, she realized that college wasn't really for her. She quit school and began working at a restaurant, but she was very excited because on August 18, 2005, she was supposed to start a new job working as a legal assistant at a law firm. This was a job she was very much looking forward to starting, and on the day prior, she had planned on going to bed early, getting a good night's rest, and getting up early the next day to start her new position. However, one of her best friends, 24-year-old Colton Pataniak, a finance major at the University of Texas, Austin, convinced Jennifer to go out for a while to celebrate her new milestone. Colton liked to party. Although he was extremely intelligent and very accomplished in his academic life, he was known to have an edge, a little bit of a dark side, all the confidence in the world, and a bit of an attitude. All of Colton's friends knew that he was the guy to go to if you ever needed drugs of any kind, weed, coke, pills, whatever it was, Colton knew where to get it. By all accounts, Colton, at least on the outside, was a role model student. He was literally good at everything he did, and he had an ego to go along with that. He excelled as an athlete, playing football and basketball. He played multiple instruments. He was on the honor roll, a national merit scholar, and earned a scholarship to attend UT Austin. He wasn't your typical nerd, though. He was outgoing, confident, charismatic, and good-looking. He was focused on the future, and everyone knew that he would do great things. And Jennifer, even though she was trying hard to make something of herself, she was attracted to that party lifestyle that Colton offered. Her parents were concerned at one point about her excessive drinking, and they worried about Jennifer being on her own because they knew she dabbled in drugs as well. Despite the two young people both enjoying a party lifestyle, they were fairly normal 20-somethings. They came from good, middle-class families who cared about them, and they were highly functioning members of society. Just two smart, attractive people enjoying life. So like many nights before, Colton and Jennifer headed out on the town together. They opted for the 6th Street area of Austin, which was a fun place that was home to lots of bars and clubs and restaurants. And they partied into the wee hours of the next morning. Finally, a little after 1 a.m., the two decided to call it a night, and they were seen leaving the 6th Street area together. It would be later said that Jennifer left sober, but Colton was very messed up. So Jennifer was supposed to be reporting to the first day of her new job just hours later the morning of August 17th. Jennifer's mom, Sharon Sedwick, knew how excited Jennifer was about this new job. And that's why she was both very surprised, and maybe a little annoyed too, to receive a call from Jennifer's new law firm that morning to report that she had not shown up for her first day at work, and that they'd been trying repeatedly to reach her, but they couldn't. Jennifer's mom, Sharon, thought at first this was just kind of typical Jennifer behavior and that she had probably just had too much fun the night before. But part of her was also worried that it could be more than that. Just like her new employer, Sharon began trying to reach Jennifer as well. After numerous calls, Sharon started to grow concerned. Jennifer still had a cell phone under her mom's plan. So Sharon reached out to the cell phone company for help. The cell phone company was able to give Sharon the last three numbers that Jennifer had called. One was an ex-boyfriend, one was her friend Michael Rodriguez, and the third was Colton Pitaniak. Michael Rodriguez told Sharon that he spoke to Jennifer the night before a few times and that the last time he spoke to her, Jennifer was still with Colton. Jennifer didn't seem scared or anything like that, she wasn't worried, but she did indicate that Colton was acting erratic. Colton was very upset, very distraught. Not only had he lost his cell phone, but he was carrying on with nonsensical statements, and Jennifer would describe to Michael that Colton was having some issues. The last time they spoke was around 1 a.m., and Michael said that Jennifer didn't sound intoxicated at all. And this is what many witnesses said, that Jennifer was not intoxicated, but that Colton was an absolute train wreck. So Colton Petaniak was another of the last three people Jennifer's phone records showed she'd been talking to. And by Michael Rodriguez's account, Colton was also the last person that Jennifer was known to be with the previous night. So Sharon called Colton for information. Colton was a little bit rude to Sharon, and he stated that he had not seen Jennifer since the night before, and he had no idea where Jennifer could be. He had no additional information as to Jennifer's whereabouts, so Sharon continued calling friends, talking to anyone she could who might be able to provide any little bit of insight as to where her daughter might be friends pretty much had all the same info, over and over. That they last saw Jennifer, about 1 a.m. or so, that she was sober, but she was leaving with a very messed up Colton, helping him find his missing cell phone and attempting to get him home safely. On August 17th, Sharon spoke to Colton again, asking if he had any new information and informing him that she had officially reported her daughter missing. On the 18th, nobody still had any information about Jennifer's whereabouts. So Sharon, along with her boyfriend, Jim Sedwick, began to make the trip from their home in Corpus Christi, Texas, to Jennifer's home in Austin. Upon arriving in Austin, the police informed Sharon, Jim, and Jennifer's sister, Vanessa, that they had found Jennifer's car. It was parked at Colton Petaniak's apartment complex. However, Jennifer was nowhere to be found, and actually neither was Colton. With Colton not home and without a search warrant, police were unable to enter Colton's apartment to search it, and they left. But Sharon, Jim, and Vanessa, well, they did not leave. And what they did next is, I think, something that just about any worried family member would do. I don't know. I I certainly would do this. So one of Colton's apartment windows was broken, making it very easy to slide it open and crawl through it. And that's exactly what Jim Sedwick did. Jim was immediately assaulted with a terrible odor. And after a quick search of Colton's apartment, he made an absolutely horrifying discovery. Jennifer's dismembered body was in Colton Pataniak's bathtub. She had been shot, stabbed, and horribly mutilated. Her head and her hands were missing, and they were found in a garbage bag on the floor. Sharon called 911, just absolutely screaming in horror, and her boyfriend Jim took the phone, and when a dispatcher asked if the victim was conscious and breathing, Jim Sedwick replied, No, I think she's dead. I mean, this is a real gruesome messed up scene here, and I think we might have a crime scene. Austin 911, Denise Elise, fire or EMS. Please hurry. please is our, our address of the emergency. It's at Orange Tree Department, 26th Street. It's 25th Street. Sam, <laughs> yeah, give me an address. Yeah. Ma'am, hello? <laughs> Ma'am, I need the address. Ma'am? Ma'am, uh, I, I can't send help if I don't know where to send them. This is 911. We have a lot of hope on the way. I just need to be able to confirm if she is conscious and breathing.
1: No, I think she's dead. Okay. Is there any way, uh, do you think that we can go in there and
2: uh, get her flat on her back and we need to start CPR until the paramedics can get there?
1: There's, there's nothing. I, I, I don't want to touch her. I mean, this is a real gruesome,
2: scene kind of now.
3: Okay, so you, she is passed. Uh, you believe she's passed doing
0: CPR? I
2: do. I do, and I also believe that we've got a crime scene here that I don't want it to disturb.
0: Okay. I understand Can you give me the female's name, please?
3: Her name is Jennifer K. Jennifer K? D A B D.
0: And this struck me as, well, I'm not going to say funny because this is absolutely not funny. So, so don't at me, but Jim Sedwick thought the victim was dead, which is, I mean, that's a really good observation there, Jim, given the fact that you're looking at a headless body. I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure she's dead too, but did you check her pulse? I mean, you never know. Okay. That's bad. That's bad. But it just goes to show what trauma can do to a human brain. Like, Was he in denial or was he just unable to process what he was looking at? Looking at a headless torso and saying, yeah, I think she's dead. I mean, he must have gone into some surreal, like, quiet recess of his brain to protect himself from the reality of what his eyes were actually seeing. Maybe I'd have a similar reaction, but I hope I never find out how I'd react in this situation. It was just something I noticed to be kind of weird. So missing from the apartment was Colton Petaniak. Where was Colton? How long had he been gone? Had he even been home yet? Did he even know that Jennifer's dead body was laying there in his bathtub? So many questions. Since nobody knew where Colton Petaniak was, police began searching for him and using phone records to narrow down his potential whereabouts. Records showed he called a fellow UT student named Laura Hall at 3 a.m. and then again at 6 a.m. But they couldn't find Colton and they couldn't find Laura. So what was going on here? Had Colton and Laura fallen victim to the same killer who murdered Jennifer? Would police find Colton and Laura's bodies somewhere similar to how they found Jennifer Cave? Or was Colton just going on some sort of wild killing spree, and would they find Laura's dead mutilated body somewhere in a bathtub too? Well, the hunt continued, for five days in fact, until both Colton and Laura were discovered together alive in Mexico. U.S. Marshals found the pair, arrested them, and brought them back to the States. In his interrogation, Colton Pataniak would say that in the days leading up to his outing with Jennifer Cave that night, he had gone on a serious bender, using massive amounts of drugs and alcohol, and finally hitting his limit around 1 a.m. the morning that witnesses saw a very intoxicated Colton leaving with a very sober Jennifer. He claimed that he had passed out at home with no memory of what had happened and that he woke up the next day in the bathroom, looked over, and saw Jennifer's body. Although he admitted that he could see how every sign pointed to him committing this horrible murder, he didn't remember it. And he added that Jennifer was his best friend and that he would never harm her. And that statement, at least part of it, we do know is true. Colton and Jennifer were very close. They turned to each other when they needed something and they were great friends. All that said, though, authorities did not buy his story and Colton was charged with murder. Laura Hall was charged with tampering with evidence and hindering in Colton's apprehension, but... Who was Laura Hall? And how did she get involved in all of this? Well, Laura Hall was a fellow University of Texas student and by all accounts, she was obsessed with Colton. It's not clear whether they were formerly boyfriend and girlfriend or if the two were just friends, but it was clear to everyone around them that Laura was very much in love and very much infatuated with Colton. It seemed as though Laura would have done anything to be close to Colton and that she hated Jennifer Cave for the friendship she and Colton shared. From Colton's phone records, investigators discovered that Colton had reached out to Laura Hall via text message just hours after Jennifer had helped him get home safely when he was basically in a drunk stupor. In fact, they exchanged an entire string of text messages and then had a 13-minute phone call around 6 a.m. Then, when Jennifer's new employer, the law firm, was calling her mom, Sharon, to inform her that Jennifer never made it to work, well, at around the same time, Colton was shopping at a nearby hardware store. At the store, he flagged down a clerk for assistance, telling them that he was looking for a saw to cut up a turkey he was frying. He purchased an 8-inch hacksaw, along with safety masks, rubber gloves, 55-gallon drum liners, ammonia, and various other cleaning products. Oh, people, this list of items. I mean, you might as well walk up to the clerk and say, Hey there, can you get me one of them pre-made murder cleanup kits? That'd be dandy. Maybe be a little more careful if you're trying to get away with something like this. (laughs) Stupid, stupid. The surveillance video from the hardware store showed that Colton was alone. On his way home, Colton would stop at Burger King to order a value meal, asking for no onions on his sandwich, along with a Coke to mix with more booze when he got home. Murder and dismemberment makes a guy really hungry, am I right? Well, I I have actually heard that it does. That, like, killing someone and dismembering their body is super hard work. That's gross. Ugh, that's gross. But seriously, though, lots of murderers have said this. I don't know myself from personal experience or anything. Promise. So, Jennifer was shot, stabbed, severely mutilated, and decapitated This crime seemed unusually sinister, demented, and personal, given its gruesome and savage nature. Jennifer's manner of death was by shooting, and toxicology reports would actually state that even though she may have seemed sober to her friends that night, she had alcohol, marijuana, and methamphetamines in her system. After being shot, the bullet traveled through her arm, into her chest, and through her heart, pretty much killing Jennifer instantly. Being shot is one thing. I mean, could it have been an accident? Well, it's unlikely, but it is possible. But the torture that took place post-mortem? That was no accident. One might think that the killer began to dismember Jennifer in an effort to hide her body, But actually, examiners would later say that a lot of the mutilation that took place to Jennifer's body served no other purpose than just basically to take out their anger and aggression and to play with her like a toy. She was cut and stabbed numerous times after death, including in her face and head. Her abdomen had been partially cut open with the hacksaw, and like I said before, her head and her hands had been cut off and placed in a trash bag. But what led to Jennifer's murder? Who killed her and why? Well, there are a lot of questions, not many answers, and a whole lot of finger pointing. The main theory in this murder is that Colton killed Jennifer, but there are two different thoughts as to why he may have done that. The first theory is that Colton wanted more than friendship with Jennifer, but she did not return those feelings. The rejection fueled by drugs and booze caused him to act in the heat of passion, fatally shooting Jennifer, and then attempting to hide her body, and then just giving up when he discovered what a laborious task it is to dismember someone. The next theory is that Colton was so in over his head with his drug lifestyle and partying that he owed a lot of people a lot of money. It was theorized that maybe he had asked Jennifer to help him pay some of his drug debts that she refused and that sent Colton into a rage, shooting Jennifer and enlisting in the help of Laura Hall to hide the body and flee the area. A third theory is that Laura Hall did everything – shot Jennifer, killed her, and mutilated her body, all while Colton Petaniak was passed out, sleeping off his multiple-day bender. As everyone knew, Laura was obsessed with Colton. She wanted him all to herself, yet Colton didn't share romantic feelings towards Laura. Laura hated Jennifer for having such a close relationship with Colton one that she would never be able to have with him. The rage she felt after knowing they were together that evening, Colton's lawyers would say, was what led to Jennifer's murder. Colton stated in those early morning texts and phone calls to Laura Hall that he admitted to her something awful must have happened, but he didn't know exactly what or how. He claimed he had absolutely no recollection of killing Jennifer, but that she was dead in his apartment. Laura quickly came to Colton's side, ready to help him. Colton claimed that Laura had him go buy all the supplies. Laura cut off Jennifer's head, removed her hands, and mutilated her body out of pure rage and jealousy. He said Laura even took the gun, placed it into Jennifer's severed neck, and shot Jennifer's decapitated head after it had been removed. He described her as being completely psychotic. Laura had a very different story. She claimed that she was in Colton's apartment for the whole ordeal, but sat on the couch cowering in fear. She said she had no part in the killing nor the dismemberment after, and that she did not report Colton because she was in fear for her life.
1: Laura Ashley Hall, you are under arrest.
0: Oh my God. Okay. What's going to
1: happen? You're going to go to jail. What did I... You gotta tell the truth. Okay, now we're back at the apartment. Yeah. Alright, and this is somewhere around eight o'clock.
2: Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
1: Alright. Colton let you in. I sat down, I saw the purse. I saw shoes. Saw shorts. And I was just like, What is this? Like, you invited me like over and there's some other girl here, what what is going on? And he had the bathroom door closed, and I was like, she's in the bathroom, like, waiting for me. Like, what, what is going on? And I, I, I was like, who, who is this? Who and he goes, shh. He got up. To the body? No, there's not. No, there's not. You know? You don't believe me? Come and see. Okay, sure. Let's see the body in your bathtub. You know...
3: Yeah, right. Open the shower curtain. There's a body in the bathtub.
1: Put the machete on top of it. I got the the bathroom, I was just, but, I mean, I, two goals. One, get out of this bathroom. Two, don't let Colton think you're going to call the police. Did he say what he planned to do with that body?
2: (laughs) He said he was out of the body. Listen
1: the body and get rid of it did you see at any point him doing anything to further that no, exercise? no no god no okay did you see any evidence of any preparation for that God, no okay okay after he told you what he had planned to do with the body yeah did he ask you to help him? no
0: told me to get out of there. This trial would leave people with more questions than answers. But one thing we do know is that there is someone who does know the truth about what happened to Jennifer. It's either Laura Hall, Colton Petaniak, or the both of them. Could Jennifer and Colton have returned to his apartment after a crazy night of drinking, drugs, and partying, and maybe just passed out? Colton had been up for days on a bender. Could Laura Hall have come into the apartment, found them together, and shot Jennifer without Colton ever even waking up? Then the next morning, waking up to Jennifer's dead body, might Colton have called Laura, who was actually studying to be a lawyer, for guidance on what to do next? In Colton's emotional and panicked state could he have maybe followed Laura's orders and purchased those supplies exactly as she instructed him to? Did Laura use this opportunity to get rid of the one woman who she thought stood between her and the man she loved? If not, then why would Colton murder his best friend, Jennifer Cave? They'd done drugs and partied together dozens of times. It's just what they did. They had fun, they got along, they never argued. So why would Colton shoot Jennifer? Laura Hall's own father disclosed that Laura suffered from mental illness. He claimed that she was bipolar and had been unmedicated at the time. And her bizarre behavior after Jennifer Cave's murder substantiates the fact that there were a lot of things going on in Laura Hall's head that were not right. After their arrest, Hall would state that the time she spent with Colton Pataniac after they fled to Mexico was, quote, the best five days of her entire life. She also went and got a tattoo that said Colton right after Jennifer Cave's murder. Dude, I love tattoos. I'm covered in them, but that is fucked up. In recorded jailhouse conversations, Laura Hall would make threat after threat towards anyone and everyone involved in her case. She threatened to come after Jennifer Cave's mother, and she called her a moron. She threatened to kill her own mother if her mom didn't pay her bond. She threatened to kill her fellow jailhouse inmates, guards, herself, and anyone who did not give her what she wanted.
4: A juror in the Laura Hall case says Hall's own words helped the jury decide to send her to prison for the maximum punishment. 11 years for tampering with evidence and helping killer Colton Petoniak escape to Mexico after the 2005 murder of Jennifer Cave. A juror sat down today with KXA and Shannon Wolfson for an in-depth look inside the jury room during those deliberations.
2: We assess her punishment at confinement in the Texas Department of Criminal
4: Justice. For it up, 10 years.
3: When the jury foreman read the verdict last Friday, juror Paul, who'd prefer we didn't no. use his last name, had no doubt they did, did the
2: right thing. We were dealing with a, um, a person, um, Laura Hall, who had no remorse whatsoever and thought of herself only. She's going
3: down. He's going yeah, down one way or another. Paul says the jury believed recorded phone calls Hall made from jail threatening Jennifer Cave's mother and calling her names showed Hall's true character.
2: The fact that somebody would make the comments that Laura Hall made knowing that her conversations were being recorded boggles my mind. It defines the type of person she is.
3: But this juror says it was less about who she was and more about what she did.
2: The evidence presented showed me, as well as the rest of the jury, that she was involved in something horrific, something that, um, that w- was deserving of a 10-year sentence.
3: They calmly deliberated for six hours, reviewing as much of the evidence as they could.
2: The jury took this case very seriously.
3: They looked carefully at the prosecution's timeline of the case. In the end, the jury, who had no idea what Hull's previous sentence was, decided that right now she is a threat to society.
2: When she gets out, she could be a different person. I, I, I can't say that she's going to be dangerous at that time. She's, um, you know, people can change, people can rehabilitate, people can, can learn.
0: And looks aren't everything, but I feel like Laura Hall, like when you look into her eyes, you can see something very dark. In every photo, she's got this smiling little smirk on her face and it's very punchable.
4: Hall is facing up to 10 years in prison for allegedly taking part in the mutilation of the body of Jennifer Cave after she was killed by Colton Pontoniak in 2005. KXA's Chris Sadeghi is live at the courthouse, and Chris, what was Hall saying in these phone calls?
5: Robert, she certainly sounded bitter about being in the situation she is in, but the remarks that raised the most eyebrows were the comments and even threats that she made toward Jennifer Cave's family. While in jail, Laura Hall had phone conversations she knew were being recorded and those recordings became evidence on Thursday. In 19 separate phone conversations played by the prosecution, Hall continues to insist it was Colton Petaniak who is the criminal and she was just caught in the middle of his crime. But that didn't stop her from showing very little remorse for the victim's family while talking with her grandmother in 2008.
2: I bet uh, that, that mom kind of like a there. That who did? That Bregman's like mom.
3: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, she that she that's what she always
5: sounds. In the phone calls, Hall mentions how tough jail is and talks about suicide several times. A lot of her anger is directed towards her parents about why they could not pay her fifteen thousand dollar bail. But prosecutor Allison Wetzel says the most telling are the comments Laura makes about Sharon Cave.
2: She's
5: just mad i not dead. Right? She's mad because
2: she has she's a, she's a psychopath. psychopath.
3: She's because I have a daughter, and you're not dead. She doesn't
2: have a daughter. Yes,
5: she's jealous. Cave sat in the front row listening to all this, shaking her head at times, but it's the lack of remorse towards the victim's family that Wetzel hopes the jury will consider. And perceived threats Hall made against Sharon Cave while talking to an unknown person in September of 2008 could be enough reason to keep her confined for as long as possible.
2: They had an interview with that, that girl's mother again. Oh, she's she, she, she going down.
5: And just a few moments ago, the state finally rested their case after very emotional testimony from Jim Sedwick and Sharon Cave. We'll talk about their testimony coming up at 6 o'clock. For now, we're live downtown. Chris Sadege, KXAN, Austin News.
0: Laura Hall was obviously a very emotionally disturbed young woman, but did that mean she was also a cold-blooded killer who orchestrated an outlandish murder plan to get closer to the man she was infatuated with? The jury thought no. On January 29, 2007, 24-year-old Colton Pataniak was found guilty in the murder of Jennifer Cave. He was found to have murdered Jennifer alone, and he was sentenced to 55 years in prison for her murder. Since that time, he has filed requests and appeals based on a jailhouse confession Laura Hall allegedly made confessing to the entire murder, as well as disputing the timeline of the murder. But those requests have all been denied, and Colton Pataniak is still in prison at the time of this podcast episode.
3: A man sent to prison for one of Austin's most notorious murders could have the chance at a new trial. Lawyers for Colton Petoniak say that investigators did not pass on some key pieces of evidence. Petoniak was convicted of killing Jennifer Cave in the summer of 2005. Police found her dismembered body in a West Campus apartment. Laura Hall was Petoniak's girlfriend at the time. She's now serving a 10-year sentence for her role in helping to get rid of Cave's body. Petoniak's attorneys have been trying to get a new trial. They say jurors never heard evidence that Hall confessed to the crime while
4: she was in custody. Her confession, coupled with the fact that her DNA was found on the murder weapon, offers compelling evidence in favor of a new trial. The Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals
3: has ruled She's that so Petoniak's conviction deserves more Something review, which could be a step toward a new trial. Another-
0: Laura Hall was only found guilty of hindering with Colton Petaniak's apprehension and evidence tampering, but she was never charged with taking part in the actual murder or mutilation of Jennifer Cave. She was sentenced to just 11 years in prison, but was released in 2018 at the age of 34 under mandatory supervision and GPS monitoring.
4: Tonight, Jennifer Cave's family reacts to Laura Hall's parole.
0: A former UT student linked to a gruesome murder in West Campus will be released from prison tomorrow.
4: Laura Hall is getting out on parole tomorrow just a few months shy of her 10-year prison sentence. She helped her boyfriend, Colton Petoniak, dismember Jennifer Cave's body in his apartment bathtub. Tonight, Kexan's Erin Cargyle spoke to Cave's mother about the release.
0: Jennifer would be married. Uh, Jennifer would have at least two children she
3: be happy. But instead, Jennifer Cave's mother has spent many days going to every single parole hearing over the last 10 years, each time writing a new letter pleading
0: with the state to keep Laura Hall behind bars. So what did the last letter say? How is it different than the letters before? That this chapter is over.
3: When she walks out of, of their tomorrow, how will your life be different?
0: Not one bit. My life became different in August of
3: 2005. The day Petoniak told authorities he killed Cave after going on a date, but his attorneys tried to say Hall actually killed her. I wish every day I knew why. Why was she killed? From her home in Corpus Christi, Sedwick says getting involved in the local women's shelter has helped her heal and has no
0: fear for the future. I have hopes. I hope that she can get on with her life. She has no words for Hall, just daily reminders of her own daughter. Even today at lunch, and the lady in front of us ordered buttermilk pie, which was Jennifer's favorite, and I thought, okay, I get it. Erin Cargyle, KXAN News.
4: We've not been able to reach Hall's family and have left messages with her attorneys. Hall's parole conditions include a GPS monitoring device. Colton Petoniak is serving a 55-year prison sentence for the killing. Records show he will not be eligible for parole until 2033. I,
0: I know I keep saying this, but even though Colton Petoniak has been convicted, there are still just so many questions about what actually happened on the night of Jennifer Cave's death. <laughs> Did Colton Patania kill his best friend while he was blacked out? Or did the very obsessed Laura Hall do it? If she did, this is some real gone girl shit right here. I mean, this is totally movie material for sure. What do you think? Hey Austin, Texas. I'm here in your city right now at CrimeCon 2021 and i literally cannot wrap my head around this case I, I can't i just can't i do i do have a i do have a theory though i think i know what happened do you this has been true crime IRL, and I'm Kelly Barron's Brink, reminding you to lock your doors, people. Even if you're blackout drunk and your friend who's obsessed with you says she's coming over to help you hide a body, but you secretly think she might be the one who did it in the first place, ugh, definitely lock your doors then. Just lock them. Bye bye.